Osiris. Hey guys, just wanted to uh, pause here for a second and tell you about one of our podcast brethren in the Osiris Podcast Network that I've been binging on like crazy. The Road to Now with Dr. Ben Sawyer and Bob Crawford. The Road to Now hits literally everything that I'm passionate about from an academic standpoint. I was a history major in college. I love history. I love connecting the dots between where we were in the past, be it 10, 20, 30, 100 years ago to where we are right now. And that's exactly what The Road to Now does. They take a topical uh, subject that is really relevant in today's world and they jump back in time and talk with talk about how we got here, what led us here. And they have some really fascinating guests to come on. Um, some of the episodes I've really enjoyed here over the last um, couple of months, how the American dream became temporary. There was a really fantastic episode that they did about um, the 1970s and how the 1970s can really be seen as a reflection of or as a uh, predecessor of exactly where we're at right now, that there was this big shift economically and politically. That's with Jefferson Cowie. It's a fantastic episode. Uh, one with Scott Wasserman, who runs a think tank out here in Denver, Colorado, about what is the middle class was really relevant for me and really fascinating. And most recently, uh, they did an episode on Karl Marx and history, which is a uh, endlessly uh, interesting subject. One of the biggest thinkers and most impactful thinkers of the last 200 years. Um, really, really incredible stuff. So if you guys are like me, if you like history, if you're fascinated by what's happening right now politically and you want to learn more and you want to dig deep, definitely recommend The Road to Now here on the Osiris Podcast Network. David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned in to episode 58 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of introducing the listener to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love Fish. We are Fish fans, especially when they play as well as they recently played in Mexico. The problem with fish fans is, well, you know the drill. They get a bit myopic. They can repeat set lists and tapes in years and tell you where they were when fish broke out, Spock's brain, what they were doing at what time and how it made them feel. But then you ask them questions about, I don't know, the stone roses, and they look at you like you got three heads. And that's not cool. It's not cool at all. And like Representative Elijah Cummins said today, we can be better, and we will be better, and we're here to help us all be it, be better. We're here reviewing the fantastic 
Mexico weekend that Fish just concluded. As time of publishing about a week and a half ago, at time of recording just a few days ago, Dave and I are still high from this. I know I watched this from a snowy Denver weekend, and uh, I felt like I was drinking margaritas. Everything had an umbrella in the in the glass. I was super happy. Felt like I was on a beach, and then I opened the door, and it was snowing like crazy outside. Uh, this was a fantastic weekend of fish. We're going to break down one of our, I think, favorite jams of the whole weekend. There were a lot of really cool moments, and uh, talk with uh, talk with you guys a little bit about some music that we definitely think is connected to what fish was doing at their best during this weekend and uh some of the themes you can expect from this episode include four thousand dollar all-inclusive fish run these new songs can jam and fish as 70s aor radio and on that note let's get to the fish All right, guys. So we're very excited here to do kind of our first traditional Beyond the Pond episode in a couple of months now. Thank you guys for letting us experiment over the last few episodes. We hope you've enjoyed all the music that we've listened to, that we've uh, featured. Um, we are joined here tonight for the first half of our episode with a good friend of ours, a good friend of the pod, Matt Dwyer of the Helping Friendly Podcast. Matt, how are you doing? I am doing great. How are you guys? Doing very, very well, man. Welcome to the pod. Oh, it's great to be here. We we brought Matt on because Matt was in Mexico. This was your second trip to Mexico for fish? That's right. Excellent. And we wanted to get a, uh eyewitness account of what it was like in Mexico and uh, talk with someone who was at the shows. You know, we're tainted by our couch tour uh, perspectives on these shows, so we wanted to hear from someone who was actually there. Um, so, Matt, tell us, what was it like being in Mexico? Yeah, so uh, this was my second time, and uh, as uh, I, I covered Mexico, actually, for my first appearance ever on uh, the Helping Friendly podcast a couple of years ago, that that kind of led to me joining the team later that year. Uh, so it's kind of cool now to uh, do a little crossover action. Normally, we would have done a, a quick hit uh, over on HF Pod, but we decided to, uh, in, in the spirit of traveling to a foreign land, uh, to go see fish, I've traveled to a foreign land within the Osiris world to uh, to do the the rundown. Uh, so so that's kind of cool. But um, yeah, so I went in 2016 to the first one and uh, had a blast. Uh, did not do the second one, and I was scratching my head the entire time this year trying to figure out why the hell we didn't go to the second one because we had such a great time at the first one and being down there kind of brought it all back uh i think it probably had something to do with child care uh but we got the the child taken care of this year uh managed to finally convince some good friends of ours that we had been uh bragging to about the whole experience before to to join us and uh had a really good time um i think uh these CID events, uh, man, they really, they really know what they're doing when they run these things. Um, I have a serious question. Yeah, go for it. How's the food? Because I've heard things from ranging actually pretty good, great taco bar to 
like Firefest quality food? Yeah, so that's um, it's a good question. So that <clears throat> one of our lessons learned from the last time was that the, the at the Barcelo, uh, which is the host resort where the actual venue is and the shows happen, the food at the resort is not great. Um, and the, the resort itself is just okay, but it, there's areas that need to be kind of renovated and updated a little bit. It's maybe not quite as posh as some of the other re, uh, resorts on the Riviera Maya, um, where people get to stay, uh, if they so choose, um, hard rock being a really good example because it's like two doors down from, uh, the Barcelo and a lot of people stay there and that's a much newer resort. And some of the other resorts have um, really good food, uh, you know, perks like the people at the Hard Rock were telling us that in their rooms they had this like rack on the wall that had a bunch of upside down liquor bottles with dispensers attached to them. So you don't even <laughs> have to go to the bar. You can just make liquor drinks yourself uh, in your room. And um, so uh, it, you don't have some of that stuff um, and, and the food situation is not great, but you have the convenience of the venue being right there. And, um, you, you know, we would be on the beach until, you know, maybe four thirty, four forty-five, or like sitting around the pool or whatever. And then our whole crew would like go back to our rooms, take a shower real quick, and then walk down to the venue and be there for doors at six o'clock. Um, and you, you know, you're, you're hanging out on the beach and stuff. Um, once you get into the venue, the food is way better. They have a taco bar, they had a churro bar, they've got vegetarian options. They've got this, um, Mexican street corn. That's amazing. Um, so we, what we learned last time is, you know, the food, at the buffets, uh, at the resort is, is basically fuel, um, you know, fuel up a couple times a day and you sort of learn, you know, what to eat and what to not eat that that's different levels of, of acceptable, but then go into the venue at doors, uh, get some tacos, sit on the beach, go for a swim. If you want, be ready for the show, get up, get up close. It's not like, it, you know, if you went in early at Dick's so that you could get a close spot, you're sitting on that hard, floor on the field in the sun and you've got to, you know, pay $10 for a beer and you're sort of sitting there going like, man, why didn't I hang out in the lot a little bit longer? This is the opposite. It's like going, there's no reason for you to not go in at doors. So knowing that, um, with the knowledge about the food, we made the choice to stay at the Barcelo again, because all of the experiential stuff kind of outweighed the, the food for us. But there's other people that feel differently, um, that like staying at the other resorts or were with a spouse who was not entirely into the trip. So staying at a nicer resort was kind of the trade-off that they had to do. So from a weather standpoint, how is it down there? I mean, it looks like it's just perfection. It, it looks really breezy in the venue, but it looks amazing. Yeah, it's windy on the beach, uh, which, you know, the venue is on the beach. So um, it's <clears throat> there's a good wind whipping through, uh, but that's not a problem. Um, the weather is damn near perfect. I think it was even better this time than it was last time. It's about a high of 82 during the day and a low of about 74, 75 overnight. So even as you're, you know, running around the resort after the show, uh, getting into all sorts of trouble, like you don't even need a hoodie or anything like that. It's just, it's super comfortable. Um, I remember it getting pretty hot during the day last time. Maybe it was more humid or, or I don't know, maybe I wasn't as good in as good of shape or something like that. Um, it felt a lot more comfortable this time to me. Um, but then, you know, at the same time, if it does get a little warm or something, there's always a pool or the ocean, you know, super close by. Very cool. 
Very cool. Any uh, any additional thoughts? Anything else that you got into while you were down there? We did a uh, we did an excursion the day of the first show. Uh, went into the Mayan jungle and swam in cenotes and did some rappelling and did zip lines and Sweet. Sn- snorkeled um, in a dark cave uh, with like a flashlight that our guide had. So we were just like swimming through these like super claustrophobic caves, but like just looking underwater at all sorts of crazy formations and um, went to Tulum and, you know, saw the ruins there and stuff like that. So that was cool. Cause we, we didn't really do anything like that last time. Um, all right. So let's move into the run a little bit here. Talk about the three nights. Um, the, the three night stand opens up with a song that, I had kind of figured was just long forgotten. I mean, I guess it makes sense that the band is now reaching 2.0 bust outs, but uh, Spock's brain, the first since July 30th, 03 opened up February 21st, a gap of 429 shows. Um, what was this like in the venue? Now? Well, let me, let me say first and foremost, uh, I am not a Spock's brain fan. <laughs> uh, I, it's one of the, it's one of, the only fish songs that I legitimately do not like. So I have not, I have not been on team uh, bust out Spock's brain. Um, in fact, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this on an HF pod episode. When I saw Mike Gordon play this with his band at the nine thirty club, a couple of years ago, I actually went to the bathroom while they were playing it. Uh, I, <laughs> so you got a Spock's brain and you just avoided I got it. a Spock's, I got a Spock's brain, uh, but I also saw the last Spock's brain in Camden in 2003. Okay, cool. so you were at that show. I think, I think maybe that had something to do with it. Like if I had never seen it, then maybe I would be chasing it. Maybe I would have been excited, but I, I saw it at sure. one of my, one, like my second show. And at that point, like, I didn't know how rare it was. And I was like, this song is really stupid. I don't, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> so that, but that's, that's me. I understand a lot of people were excited about it. The funny thing was um, it didn't seem like a ton of people knew what it was. Uh, at least. No, it didn't sound like that on the recording. Uh, yeah. At least around me, like definitely my, friends were all asking me what it was and then people nearby like saw that I knew. And so I had a lot of people like asking me and there was a lot of around me chitter chatter, like, Oh, that guy said it's Spock's brain. It's Spock's brain. And then like they would get excited because everybody knows how rare it is. It was um, clear they had rehearsed it. I mean, it was a pretty, yeah, for sure. That, I, yeah. I was just gonna say like it, it was definitely well played, um, which was, which was cool. Um, and you know, I think it's, I, I think it's a good sign because like I, I talked about on our recap of the, the last two shows of, of last year, um, I really feel like they're doing a lot to respond to what the fans want and, yes. you know, play like it's almost like they, they sort of developed a checklist of like, all right, here's all of the things that the fa- you could do that the fans really like want to to go into a great show like you know strong first sets and bust outs and all this stuff so you, the, it, to me the takeaway for that and then really f- throughout this entire show was that wasn't just a fluke um at at new year's uh, or even on the fall tour it's something that they're continuing um you know there's still some interesting bust outs um there's still a lot of jamming a lot of long jams jams in the first set all the things that we talked about that that have been going really well are still going on so i was really pumped about that and i thought spock spring was a good sign um i just you know wasn't like completely stoked to uh to hear it fair enough it, it gets to the debate that was on twitter the whole weekend was is this a good song or is it just a bust out i i am a fan of spock's brain i uh 
I also, Summer 95 is probably my favorite fish tour, and that's all over Summer 95. Uh, so I think it just kind of sounds like that to me, but um, I can totally see the other side of it. It's a, very, it's a really weird song. I'm Team Spock's brain. That said, I think it's a good song, but I think it's a song that if they ever decided, again, to make it part of the rotation, it should maybe be like once every six or seven shows. If they played it as much as, say, 555, I think it would get annoying. Yeah. Um, another bust out set one was Who Loves the Sun. We got that for the first time since its debut on Halloween 98. Uh, please tell me that you are a fan of this song and of the Velvet Underground. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was really excited to hear that one. Um, I knew it, was, it had been a while. I didn't realize that they had never played it uh, except for that, that Halloween 98. So yeah. um, <laughs> I was really excited. There was a cool... Um, as like a small aside, there was a fantastic DJ uh, who played um, by the pool on the uh, the day of the last show on Saturday, um, and uh, he they had kind of some different DJs there all all week, and they had uh, like a um, a big sound system, and where most people were swimming that were there for the shows, uh, they were right there. This guy um, Michael, if I'm saying his name right, um, Slabok or Slabok. Um, who uh, apparently is one of the guys who, who DJs on the Bunny uh, when okay. the Purple Festivals. He um, he played a great set of music that was like perfect for the vibe on Saturday, like the sunny vibe. People were relaxing, a little bit tired, and he played "Who Loves the Sun." Um, and it, once again, everybody in the pool was just like grooving on it so much. It's just such a such a great song, and um, really uh, of all the songs unloaded that you know they could have played at that point, it was just like perfect. Yeah, it um, it's just got that like shimmery '60s pop, but also the psychedelic aspect of it that you get from the Velvet Underground. That um, I loved hearing it. I was also surprised. I, I when when I heard it on the stream, I was like, "Oh, this is probably the first time in six or seven years," and I was shocked to learn that it was the first time since Halloween. Um, and then the first set we get the the first set jam it seems like of the 2018 2019 uh era of fish and everything's right um and this was you know i wouldn't say that this was the best version i think it was kind of a tier below some of the better versions played last year austin camden albany and uh new year's then the night before new year's I, I would say those are the best that were played but it was definitely great it got to a really uplifting point and um I've got to imagine at this point people are really settling in. Yeah, th- definitely. I mean, between the um, couple of bust outs and then this really nice jam, um, they didn't waste any time. I mean, if you think about it, like so many times when they haven't played for a little while, they sort of ease into the show, play some of the go-to, you know, songs like right. Wolfman's Brother and Stash and stuff like that. And like they open up with a rarity that's probably one of the most complicated songs in the repertoire to play. Uh, then, you know, a couple songs later, play a song that they played once, you know, 21 years ago and then uh, get into like a real, real nice 15 minute uh, jam on Everything's Right. So. Everybody was feeling good at this point. I think we've seen enough really good versions of this song to know that at this point, it's not a matter like if everything's right is going to jam as much as how that they're going to do it. Right. One of um, our followers on Twitter said it was Fish's Ultimate. If you don't eat your meat, you can't get any pudding song, which is to say, like put up with the verses, go have a beer, take a piss or something, and then come back because you're going to get something like fantastic for 10 minutes. 
I don't share the same enmity towards the verses and chord progression of that song as a lot of people do. I've said before, I like the fact that it sounds like the beta bands drive the rain and the sentiments are a bit trite, but it's catchy. And if it keeps doing like they're going to do here and uh, obviously the December 30 or 2018 version, you can play it once every three shows. I'm happy. Completely. Um, jumping into set two, I thought, I think we all knew Soul Planet was coming, especially since they did not play it over the New Year's run. Um, to have that jam in the way that it did and then move really effortlessly into Spanish Moon. When I was when I was doing a re-listen of this the morning afterwards, I... Uh, you say effortlessly, okay. <laughs> I mean, I was listening to it and I was like, it's Soul Planet, it's Soul Planet, you know, it's a Soul Planet jam, Soul Planet jam. And then out of nowhere, I was like, oh my God, it's Spanish Moon. Um, I thought it was a really slick uh, segue, and um, it it was a good imitation on their behalf of Little Fee, I thought. I've kind of been ruined by, um, ever since we did our, our last episode, I guess, last episode, no, it was actually two episodes ago with Stephen Hyden, where he talks about um, his favorite Little Feet bootlegs from 73. So now, me having gone back and heard some of those bootlegs, I'm starting to see how Waiting for Columbus was a bit of a whiff. Because fish, you know, that have a tough time capturing the groove and/or lasciviousness of Prime Little Feet, and having that been so fresh in my mind, and hearing them play Spanish Moon, as part of it was, oh, cool, they're playing Spanish Moon, and oh, it sounds like this. Okay, I'll I'll give them the E for effort. Um, <laughs> but Soul Planet, good version of the song. I mean, I kind of. You kind of throw up in your mouth a little bit, imagining like all the wooks in the ocean frolicking to the ocean being love. But if you can get around that, good placement. Yeah, this first night had um, a lot of the kind of beachy references, uh, water references and sand and sun yeah. and, you know, soul planet and all that stuff. So um, that that's yeah, that seemed to be the theme of the of the first night. Um, I loved I thought the segue in Spanish Moon was um really tight i i will tell you i i should have said earlier i have not re-listened to a note of these shows i'm coming it's all in, in my it's memory. all fresh i like that it's all it's all fresh um sometimes i like to give myself a little time if the shows are particularly impactful which these were to just sort of resonate from the experience before i go back and analyze on the tapes uh in addition to that i just haven't had any time to to do any re-listening but um spanish moon was funny because i th i thought they were going in to skin it back uh those songs yes. those, those two songs are so like insanely close uh which is really funny really only the, the bass part and uh the horns are different um so i was like and I, I was like the only one within the nearby vicinity that heard it coming and i was like all right skin it back skin it back and i kept wait, kept waiting for that guitar lick that kind of opens up the song um and instead of getting that trey started singing well the night that uh i uh i would like freaked out and it was funny because even until he sang the word spanish moon most people didn't realize what it was and then um once he sang that the place just went crazy uh and i thought it was i thought it was a really good version really well placed um and and people really seemed to be digging it go back and listen to those little feet bootlegs from 73 like a staple of the set list is them segueing spanish moon into skin it back so and really all they have to do is sing a different vocal and like have like a different horn head. So it's, that makes it's sense. certainly not lost on Little Feet. 
Yeah. Um, as you're saying this, Matt, and as you, you know, you haven't listened back to these shows, they were, you said they're particularly impactful for you. Um, just kind of offhand, I mean, where, where does this run kind of sit for you in your overall memory of, of fish? I mean, where does this kind of not necessarily rank for you, but like kind of where, where do you see this in the overall shows you've seen? Um, I mean, they were, I, I would, I'll say that there were strong shows, uh, all three of them, um, particularly the first and second nights and like the fourth quarter of the first or the, of the third night yeah, were all really, really, really good. Um, it's hard to put, you know, put them in the grand scheme of things in terms of recent memory stuff. Um, I would say way better than the stuff that I saw last summer. Uh, probably about on par with the fall tour shows yeah. that I saw. Um, yeah. Maybe just like a tiny, tiny step below the new year's run. Yeah. Um, but in certain ways, I don't know. It's hard to say because like, I thought that the best jams from this run could compete with the best jams from the new year's run. So um, I think, you know, since this, since the fall, they've been playing at a pretty consistently high level uh, really since Dick's last year, they've been playing pre- very consistently well. Um, and, and I, th- I think that's a trend that's going. And I, you know, I knew I was going to have a good time, but having thought back to the shows in 2016 that I saw down there, they were just okay. I mean, they were not, not great fish shows, um, but the experience was so great that it was kind of like, yeah, whatever. I mean, we saw fish on a beach with our feet. Right. In the ocean. Like, it's, <laughs> the ocean you know, right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> that's where like that, you know, the whole average great fish show thing is like, is completely acceptable because the whole experience was so wonderful. Right. So I was kind of ready for that to happen again. I figured, you know, they've been off for six weeks. Uh, this is sort of one-off group of shows. They probably didn't really rehearse much for it or prepare anything. And so I was very, very pleasantly surprised at the, at the whole run. Yeah. I think, I think we would agree with a lot of that. And um, I'd agree with all of that. Yeah. I think that's exactly how we felt from the couch. Um, uh, well, that's a good segue into probably the capstone jam of the set to the segment of the set the uh 20 minute version of i always wanted it this way into death don't hurt very long and then what i would argue is the best 2001 since fukuoka um but top three certainly yeah um what were your thoughts on all this and what did you guys take away from this big jam off of i always wanted it this way you know, it's funny. I, I I thought a lot after the second and third night happened. I thought a lot about those shows and was like, yeah, you know, first night was good. And now that I come back and look at it, as I'm looking through the second set and it's killer from start to finish. Um, it's really like it it didn't and, and like I felt at the time like it was a little bit songy, but it actually wasn't. It was only seven songs. Uh, Soul Planet Spanish Moon, fantastic. I always wanted it this way. Was um, was really amazing um, and a smooth segue into Death Don't Hurt Very Long, which I love the fact that now that we they've played it twice since Halloween, they've sort of set in stone that it's going to be a fun song and it's going to be a, a Fishman highlight. Yeah. Um, Fishman was was on fire. Well, I'll, I'll get to that. But the then the 2001, which I agree, it's a top-notch version, um, especially for 3.0. Um maybe the best since like Camden 2010 when they did all the Michael Jackson stuff, uh, short, but sweet bathtub gin and squirming coil. I mean, that's a really tight set. There's not really any wasted time there. Um, and it was really yeah. good. 
and I mean, even your like fourth quarter kind of standard songs per se are Bathtub Gin and Squirming Coil, two songs that I always want to hear. I love late set two Bathtub Gins um, and Squirming Coils, one of my favorite ways that they can close out a second set. It just feels like contemplative and reflective. And, you know, once Paige walks off the stage, like you feel like you had a yeah, moment. There. Yeah, but to, in 2001, though, I mean, dancey, a lot of great um segments places where like it felt like they weren't going to come back to the theme um yes. just really really cool like i i, I kind of got lost in the middle of that i think one of the drivers for that and one of the drivers for a lot of what i heard in this set uh was fishman who absolutely was the mvp of the whole run i mean he is killing it right now and i've gotta assume that he and trey have been doing a lot of work on the ghost in the forest material recently because the two of them Mm. were hooked up all weekend like from the second they they hit the stage they were locked in um and to say not you know nothing against mike and Paige, who were also you know doing a great job but trey and fish were like really locked in and and moving the whole thing forward the whole weekend. I was super impressed. They set the bar high that first night and people were pretty jazzed uh, all around the pool and stuff as we, we talked to people the next day. So um, the, the expectations were, were higher going into the second show and man, they, they really came through. Yeah. Yeah. This was a great, great fish show. This is a serious Um, fish show. I would put this, this is a, yeah, I would put this on par. (laughs) I would I would put this on par with um you know when when we I feel like when we're looking at like the pinnacle fish shows of this current era 1229-1230 back to back are really the big ones and um I think I would put this on 1229's level which I don't think is a knock to it at all um but uh I thought it was a ton of fun I loved webcasting it you get your first you enjoy myself opener since uh July 9th 2003 and Lots of interesting song choices that really worked and lots of interesting playing throughout. Yeah, I, uh, I'll brag for just a second. I called the M opener, um, which, was, which was cool. A um, little bit of sloppiness in the compose section. Uh, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's maybe... There was a tramp sw- sloppiness. Mike got on the trampoline a little which too early. Was, and the buildup to the boy was a little bit sloppy. Yeah, the, well. the Mike getting on the tramp early was actually hilarious. Um, just to be yes. able to watch his reaction <laughs> and the fact that he, if you if you caught it, he walked over to his talkback mic and, and apologized to everybody for getting on. <laughs> um, and so then that kind of fired up the, the tramps too. But um, there was, I, I mean, it's funny. I was thinking about this because the, like I really stayed off my phone the whole time. I mostly kept my phone in the safe while I was down there. I just didn't didn't want to be connected to the the real world. But um, well when, done. That's when I came back it. in passing, I've seen some people make comments about sloppy playing in the composed sections, which is is probably justified. Um, once again, I haven't listened back, so I don't know the the degree to which um, there were a lot of flubs. But I was thinking about you know. Um, over on HF Pod, we just spent some time talking about winter 2003 and the whole yes. dichotomy back then of like the the composed sections of most songs were like really botched, but then they would jam for 30 minutes and it was like, yeah, whatever. You know, you've heard this, you've heard Reba a hundred times before. Do you really need, need to hear them nail that if the jam is great? Um, which I'm not saying is the the right approach to take, but uh, if the, the energy is there and the follow through and the jamming and stuff is, is fine, then it doesn't bother me too much, um, which was definitely the case uh, for this whole run and, and, and this night in particular. 
want a perfect track for this is the super rough opening of No Man in No Man's Land that led to what might be my favorite jam of the weekend. Uh, not very long. I think it just touched 12 minutes, but it goes into this really cool, airy, psychedelic space that they kind of found out of nowhere and could have very easily continued had they wanted to push it a little bit further. Instead, they go into First Emotional Rescue since the Fuck Your Face show, which um, isn't a call that I don't think too many people are complaining about. I'm guessing a lot of people got their First Emotional Rescues this weekend. Yeah, and that that was a fun one too. Um, people people definitely knew that one and were super super yes. psyched uh, that they were that they were playing it. Mike was having a lot of fun with it. I kind of wish that they had jammed it because um, I have a fondness for that uh, that Ham- that Hampton version that uh, that went so deep. Um, but but it was it was good. And if you're gonna cut that off, um, then going into a tube uh, that was of the caliber that this tube was is definitely a, a good move. Yeah. Jesus Christ. That as well. That could be my favorite version of the song. I mean, it's certainly it's shorter than the Baker's Dozen Powdered Night version, slightly. But in terms of exploration, in terms of sounding like you're actually staring down a tube into outer space while things are being thrown at you, that was just a very... I mean, that tube gets me excited. I get excited listening to that. That's... Well, I love how there's a point in it where they kind of, it's almost as though they're fading to a close, similar to the way that they were jamming the 2001, where it would get like super silent, and then they'd very easily go back into this groove and kind of like build it back up. I know that that happened a couple of times in the tube, and I love that. Um, I'm just so happy that they're regularly jamming tube in the first set again. It's, it just means it's when it starts up, it's always one of my favorite songs to hear. Um, Lyrically, I think it's one of the wackiest Fishman songs, which is saying something. I love the funky nature of it, but to have them explore it a little bit more is just—it's uh, um, a really good, good sign here in modern day. When fish. was the first of like I guess later 3.0? They kind of had stopped jamming it and then started Chula again. And, yeah, right, Chula Vista, the last show, of Summer 16. That kind of pointed the way forward, right? Yeah, and this was. Um... It, it felt like a 99 or 2000 version of tube like yeah. really kind of boogieing along the tempo was up um it felt like they could have just not finished it uh you know they, they just kept going off um i'm surprised as i look at it now to see that it was only nine minutes because it felt like it was more like 15 or 16 minutes yeah i was shocked when the tapes came out and i was like what this was under 10 minutes i can't believe it but they're getting a lot done in that amount of time um, got to note that uh, Shade was perfectly placed. Uh, I do like that song. I do think that that song has suffered from poor placement as of uh, the, a few of the recent versions. Um, but uh, this was quite nice as kind of like a little bit of a break and, and set one before you got sawed again. Um, and then set two, 48 minutes of Set Your Soul Free and Mercury, two songs that... Um, were written less than four years ago or debuted less than four years ago. Um, you know, I would say that this jam segment was in line with kind of I always wanted that way or I always wanted this way in the sense that it's kind of like a Baker's Dozen jam. It doesn't cover a ton of new ground, but I don't really care because the band is 
jamming new songs 20 plus minutes without any effort and they're joyous and they're blissful and then they have this kind of post-peak jamming nature to it i i thought this this segment was fantastic it came through really well on the webcast and i've got to imagine everybody in the sand was just going crazy the set your soul free jam was really good um really long i got i got very very lost in it but then got snapped out in probably i'm guessing like the last 10 minutes of it just turned into like rock star Trey. I mean, he was playing all the trills on his guitar and like, Mm. um, just rocking so hard. Uh, and and you, it was one of those things like, I kind of got the feeling that they were closing in on a half hour, but like, who knows, you know, it could have been eight minutes and it it was just, we kind of got lost in it or maybe it had been an hour, like just couldn't, couldn't tell, but it felt like they had gone (laughs) really, really, really deep and had, and were rocking so hard uh, at the end of that segment. I mean, just like couldn't find a person on the beach that didn't have their hands in the air freaking out and jumping up and down and stuff. I mean, that was the last 10 minutes of that jam were like the, the peak of the entire weekend, I think for, for most people. Yeah. The last four minutes of that set your soul free sound like you've been shot out of a cannon, just the intensity, the drive, the build, the trilling. And then with the mercury, it's got a jam that reaches first two levels of intensity. I mean, you say, in terms of breaking new ground, I mean, how about exhibiting huge amounts of efforts during a Mexico show? Because this was far from not being mailed in. I mean, I really think this is like a top 25 show of Fish 3.0. That's how, that's how good the show is overall. That's how good those two back-to-backs were. I mean, I really... I'd love to see Mercury develop into like a near like second set, first set sure shot, sure shot of like 20 minutes or something. Yeah, I mean, this show to me, like take 1229, take a show like 112 or even 111, uh, All State Night One, um, Dick's Night One. I mean, in terms of this year, I think it's, or the last year, the last calendar year, I should say, it's up there with the best of them. And, um, it's definitely one of those shows that when I throw it on, there's not really a song I want to skip. It flows really well, and it kind of keeps you on your toes in terms of the set list. I know that my wife and I were webcasting it, and you know, you know that when you're when you're couch touring it, they're kind of into a routine, and it's not very surprising. You kind of can sit back and maybe go and turn on the dishwasher, change over the laundry, you know, like this was one of those shows, like I felt like I had to stay in my spot in my own living room <laughs> the same way I would feel uh, while on the ground. Um, I actually did laundry during the composed part of that Mercury. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> way to... And it, not that I don't love the composed part of Mercury, but I had to do it in some way. Right. So then I, I come up and see what's going on and thought, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I, I would put this... Um, run of set your soul free mercury slave to the traffic light uh, up there with some of the finest parts of 3.0 like the um you know randall's island night three that three song segment that went about an hour like the um bill graham uh light sneaking sally stuff um you know that was actually compared someone on twitter i think it might have been josh corin uh compared that favorably to this like set your soul free peak and I, well, I mean, I, I still, I would say that um, the light peak into the Sally might be my favorite 
portion of Thrift 3.0 ever, and it probably still is. I mean, the fact that you're comparing it even is just... It's incredible. Yeah, it's it's definitely in that that same league. Um, it's it's one of the high points. In fact, I think if you're going to say anything about this show, um, they could have ended the second set after Slave, which it felt like they were going to. I was, I mean, it's it's a typical set closer, and not keeping specific track of time by that point, it felt like this like a full set had been played. Um, you could say that maybe the show would have been stronger if they had ended the second set there. Uh, because then you get into um, a little bit of, you know, jukebox Saturday Night Special kind of stuff where they're, they played, uh, you know, four songs in a row that all felt like they were going to be the last song in the set. Right. Um, but at, at that, I mean, the possum was really great and really strong. The buildup was huge because the the crowd was so fired up by that point. Sanity kept the... Uh, the saw it again madness going on with all the stuff that they were screaming and everything like that. Um, and then walk away as it has for the last couple of years was just an absolute ripper. The one thing that I didn't mention, um, when we were talking about set your soul free that we'll, we'll talk about it again in a second. When we talk about the third night, um, you've, if you've seen the videos or you've seen pictures, uh, you know, that of course there's the palm trees behind the stage that get lit up, uh, in typical Corona style. When you enter the venue, the whole back half of the venue is, um, this, it's kind of like in the palm trees and it's where all the food is, the food vendors and everything like that. So it's really cool to chill back there. All of those trees are lit up as well. And they're coordinated with, the um the palm trees behind the stage so whatever the palm trees behind the stage are doing the palm trees in this area that you can hang out are doing the same thing so it's actually it's really cool because it's like you're kind of stepping inside the light show (laughs) um and then off to the left which is where the ocean is um they've got these banks of lights up on huge poles that are pointed out at the ocean and there's lights that are kind of more um, like wash lights, like they're diffused that they crow to points at the ocean most of the time and just lights the ocean up different colors. Like you can't see individual beams. It's just like the whole ocean changes color. And then there's these other lights on top of there that he uses like spotlights and he like fans them up and down and does, you know, neat swoops with them and all this kind of stuff. And during set your soul free, Framed perfectly by the lights that were out over the ocean, this enormous bright yellow moon started to rise up from the ocean. And there was a point at which, like, the ocean was glowing green. These lights all around were purple and were pointed straight at this yellow moon that was rising and it just it looked i tried to get pictures of it but of course you can't capture what it actually right. looked like um and the spanish moon as it were spanish moon which yes may have uh the, the, it wasn't doing it that for the first night it was it was big and it was huge and i think it was full the first night but it was it was not like this um but it came back like everybody was staring at that trey was playing at one point when he was soloing um you can probably see this on the video that they released he was just staring straight at the moon <laughs> Um, kind of playing to the moon it was so cool but then sanity um they were all sort of like turned and looking at the moon again and when they were singing about the world exploding and stuff like that it was it was i think that may have been a a big part of the inspiration for playing that certainly sanity was um sanity satisfied the wife on the couch what the hell are these guys talking about quotient 
<laughs> and me saying this song is kind of like an inside joke from back in the day. Well, and one thing I loved about the second set, just kind of one last note on it, was it opens with 50 minutes of two new songs, essentially two you know relatively new songs, and ends with four songs that are all from the 80s because walk away was a was a cover that they were playing like at nectars right before it went away uh yeah it was like 87 88 yeah yeah like you got these four songs back to back that i totally agree with you like it did start to feel a little bit like jukebox jukebox fish but like this contrast of we're going to jam out these two songs that are less than five years old and then we're going to end it with a bunch of just classic old fish songs i thought it was it's a very cool way to just kind of encapsulate a set of music. They earned the right to encore with more. They did. That was a night that they did. <laughs> um, so night three, um, I would say, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of the sloppy aspects of this run. And I definitely think that they played a little bit loose this weekend. Um, I would say that night three was definitely on a different level. That was felt like one of the sloppier shows I've heard in, in a while just they seem to be missing cues kind of left and right throughout the show but somehow it worked and somehow especially when we get to the fourth quarter they took a show that could have been really standard and just turned into a song 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 type of set and had a lot of fun with it and I had a lot of fun watching this all things considered in the uh, from the couch um, but it opened up with your first ever pairing of curtain with and punch you in the eye and you got jams out of blaze on and chalk dust. Um, what were, what were your kind of your thoughts, um, on the ground there and what was kind of the vibe of this show? It, this one I'm not as sure about. Um, and I, I was curious to get your takes on it. And I'm curious to get the takes of other people who watched it or, or may have been there because, it was one of those shows where it's the third night. Um, you know, we had been in Mexico having a very good time for a couple of days, a little tired, a little bit, um, you know, out of it. And I, I was just, I couldn't tell if I was having trouble connecting with the band or if the band was having trouble connecting with each other. It just didn't feel right. Um, it was, you know, it was fine and I was dancing and I was having a good time, but, um, it was like, I don't know if it's just like a letdown from last night or it, it seems during the whole weekend, particularly the parts of the first set of the first night. And for a good chunk of this show, like Trey was struggling with his guitar. Um, I know he had some problems the first night he wound up switching guitars. Um, I don't know if like, you know, the trip to the humid weather, like, you know, wreaked havoc on, on one of his guitars or something like that. But he just seemed like he was battling the guitar uh, for the first huge chunk of this third night to try to get it to do what he wanted. Um, so I, I was just like, ah, it's fine. It's fine. The, the whole first set, um, once they got to the, the chalk dust, the chalk dust was pretty hot. Um, had kind of an extent extended yeah. solo and that was cool but then even like into the beginning of the second set it was like first tube mike song week um fuego i i at that point i was like okay they, they don't have it like they had it last night they're definitely totally. like i thought it was funny that you don't usually get the last night of a run on a Saturday night. And here, here they were doing that. And they were playing a Saturday night special show. Right. <laughs> one, one, like trying to plow through so many songs. It was finally the t- beginning with the tweezer 
where I was like, okay, this is on the level from last night. This is, they, they, they found something, they latched onto something. Once again, I don't know, maybe it's, it, it was that I woke up a little bit more then and I was ready to go because I love tweezer so much. But I would say you're exactly what you felt on the stands, exactly what I felt you, on the You couch. think so? All right. Yeah. 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 Other than, I mean, I know, I know we texted each other at some point. Dirt, I think it was right around Fuego and we were like, this sucks. It, well, just like we know exactly where this is going. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I know I, I had I had it in my head of you know you were gonna get a meat stick at some right. point right. and maybe like a joy and a character zero to close it out and okay we played a third night in Mexico yeah yeah and it I, I don't especially with um, I would say ch- other than I mean, at least for me uh, I'll just jump in other than the chalk. Other than the Choctaw's Torture, which for Type 1 is actually an extremely interesting version with a kind of neat atonal guitar solo. That's not usually what you get from Choctaw's. Aside from that, until you get to the tweezer, there's nothing in that show you need to hear more than once. And that includes the Mike's Weekapog, which um, people see Mike's Weekapog, they think back to, you know, like December 1st, 95, December 7, 95, like the gigantic epic Mike's Weekapog segues. This was not that. No. This no. was, they played an eight minute, <laughs> they played an eight minute Weekapog. <laughs> uh, no, I'm sorry, they played eight, Mike's song for eight minutes, then Trey had a brain cramp, and then takes a pause and fires a Weekapog out of nowhere, yeah. and that's like nine <laughs> minutes. And you thought, oh, okay. It's funny because it's kind of lame. It's funny because, like you were noting earlier, Matt, um, it seems like they're taking cues from their fan base of, oh, this is what people want to hear. And, you know, just a couple weeks ago, there was uh, a young blog conversation of, uh, what do you want to hear in between Mike, Mike's and Weekapog? And a lot of people came back with Mike's into Weekapog. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I have more. no idea what their, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what their Twitter habits are in that sort of sense. But if they've got a pulse on the community, they're, you know, on a recent sense, if they're doing like a quick, you know, tour through the internet to see what people are asking for. Trey hears Mike's in a week pog and he's going to play Mike's in a week pog. He's going to take you at face value. So, yeah. um, <laughs> well, he didn't quite understand the gist of that conversation. I, I think they, they the should hell. have gone for another answer of somebody's, which was another Mike song. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, but I think, you know, all this, all that aside, my takeaway at, at the end of this night was if you took everything starting with the tweezer, and put that onto last night's show starting with the slave, you have like an all-time great show. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this show is all about the fourth quarter, which is really good. Which is an area that was a that was a problem for Fish for some time. For uh, sure. Early in 2018. It's cool that they have figured out a way to turn the fourth quarter and the encore into something that's still really surprising. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that was like, I kept thinking, I was like, maybe that's what they were thinking about on this night was like, maybe they like reacting to the night before were thinking like, Oh man, you know, we kind of lost it after, you know, a good two, you know, two thirds or three quarters of the show. Let's make sure we've got enough steam tonight and we've got some big things planned, but they just held back too much. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, these, you know, 
maybe I'm overthinking it. But um, the other thing I'll say, I mean, so the tweezer was great. The Carini was great. Um, it's not noted in their uh, on their the live fish release, but they went they did go back into tweezer at the end of Carini. Yes. Um, yes. And then yes. and then super 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 smooth segue into Ghost. And I don't want to hear anybody bitch about this, the length of the Ghost because the drop into no, Santos was perfect. It was so crazy. The beach, like, it was the high, probably the high point in terms of energy for the weekend. Even putting aside this, uh, the set your soul free, what that was so crazy. I mean, like, just celebratory people jumping up and down, everybody singing along. Like, it's the second that they they went into that, it was like mayhem for the rest of the show. Yeah, it when they dropped into it. I was sitting on the couch and I knew immediately what it was and I got chills because, you know, you and I were both there, Matt, on Halloween when these songs debuted. And it's so weird to hear these new songs in this isolated setting where you like them, but you don't know what they sound like within a fish show. And, you know, we started to get hints of what this was going to be like during the New Year's run. But aside from Death Don't Hurt Very Long, um, I don't think any of them were like segued out of another song. Um this was like the first time where, you know, I think for a lot of people, they walked away from Vegas with Santos was their favorite song of the show or of the, of the, of the Halloween set. And it's in a great vein of big, beautifully simplistic classic rock songs that fish has played. And when it dropped into it, I just got full chills. Cause I was like, it's, it's a fish song now. Like this can, this can be a set to opener that jams like they've just figured out how to play this. And it just felt like a really special moment. I'm very curious to see what they do with that song when it's not used for special occasions, i.e. Mm -hmm. the new year's Eve song and like the last main song of the set of like the Mexico run, because it almost seemed like the entire, the entire Mexico run was them. You just figuring out how to get the Santos. Like you knew they were going to have to get to it at some point. It was just a matter of how, and certainly segueing it out of Ghost, kind of like what Trey did on uh, the solo acoustic run. He did like Ghost Santos Ghosts. I thought it was perfect. I mean, using a three and a half minute Ghost for that burst of just energy, it's like Fish knows that they've written like a fucking cork of a rock song on their hands, and they should milk it. But I can't wait till it opens up a second set. I, I can't wait until they're talking about like the Bangor Santos, like the 25 minute second set <laughs> monster played yeah, for everyone who wants yeah. Bangor. Um, and I know we're going to have a, a, a bit more to say about this jam segment. So just in terms of the encore, um, this was super unexpected when they started simple. I figured it was going to be simple. And then they started March monster. Thought we're getting two songs and then we're done. Um, this seemed like it had to have been a lot of fun. This, this reminded me in some ways of, um, I saw a Fee Kung NO2 fire encore at Deer Creek in 2010 that was just super unexpected and super bizarre. What, what was this like seeing it live? Yeah, same, same thing. Like they came out and they played simple and I was like, okay, maybe we'll get like a 10 minute simple. Cause I actually, I had glanced at the clock to see how much time they had. Um, and they, they had, uh, you know, I guess about, um, I guess about 30 minutes oh, okay. um, 
to uh it was like 11 o'clock at that point there was a hard 11 30 curfew and they um i was like you know something something's gonna happen here they're gonna jam the symbol or, or they're gonna play something else we knew the reprise was probably coming um you know because they had played tweezer but the the whole thing felt like a like a 93 or 94 you know segue yes. fest just like throwing out tease after tease um there was a funny moment when they were going to go into Martian monster where uh page hit the wrong sample uh yeah. <laughs> early on he he played faceplant into rock um and then they like considered going into that for a second and then fishman started playing the martian monster beat but then from what i could tell trey walked over to him and like asked him like which one is this? which one is this? Like he didn't know how to play Martian Monster. So then, like Paige and Mike started playing Martian Monster, and he was like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah. it's that one, it's that one." And so he started playing it, and so they were in kind of a goofy mood from that point forward. But what happened then, like going back to what I was talking about before, it happened later this night. But the moon started to come up again in the same way in this enormous yellow moon and that's when trey looked at and pointed at it and started singing spanish moon over martian monster so then fishman starts yelling stuff they start like you know reprising like a whole bunch of different songs um and that leads into kung which was the point at which it just all went to hell i mean it, it was just like yeah. <laughs> I, I was i don't know that, like how many times i've laughed this hard at, at a fish show at what was going on um and fishman kind of just taking the reins on the whole thing so yeah i mean it, it kind of reminded me of um that deer creek uh 2010 encore it reminded me of the first set of meriwether 2015 when they kind of did the big black furry creature from mars and the year pet cat back into big black furry creature from mars and i had the same sense i was just laughing like right <laughs> and like you know how often are you just like openly cracking up at a fish show um i thought it was pretty cool um so in terms of the jam segment that we're going to feature here as we segue into the next segment, um, you know, as we had noted, um, I loved the big, huge jams of the run, but um, I really found them more, they're the, the really interesting portions of the overall weekend to be these kind of short little jams and that Carini Go Santos just feels like classic rock radio jukebox music for me. It, um, uh, it feels like the band is just having a hell of a good time. It reminds me of being young and listening to classic rock radio. Um, and, you know, it even within the Carini, I know, Dave, you were yelling along slow ride and take it easy throughout that. Yeah, I think I was even texted you that. There was one point the Carini had these crunchy classic rock riffs and I was going slow ride, take it easy. <laughs> Giving you some fog hat up in here. I think I texted you those words and you wrote back like, why don't we just talk about classic rock on Beyond the Pond? I said, yes. Yes. Well, should we uh, listen to a bit of the Carini, Ghost, and Santos here?
enough to remember a time when I had to carry my swaggy stems and seeds in a Ziploc bag and they would spill everywhere and make a mess and just be awful. But I don't have to do that anymore. That's right, because we are sponsored by a company named Kush Supply Co. or Kush Co. They're the wonderful Osiris sponsor and partner who 
also happens to be the largest producer of packaging products for the cannabis industry. As medical and recreational cannabis continue to be legalized, one leader has emerged as the go-to company produce state-compliant packaging for cannabis, and that is Kushko. What does that mean? States have varying laws about how marijuana can be packaged. They need to be child-proof, comply with labeling requirements, and so on. Kush knows all the regulations for every state. The packaging doesn't have to be ugly. Kushka works with producers to create their own branding on amazingly innovative boxes, tubes, bottles, and other packages, so they look amazing and function extremely well. Kushko also produces vaping hardware and supplies. If you've been in a cannabis dispensary lately, you've definitely seen Kushko products. Kushko has offices in 10 states, plus Canada and China. Please go to kushsupplyco.com slash podcast to learn more about what they're up to. The sooner you sign out with Kushko, the sooner you can stop using that worthless dugout for your one-hitter. It's time to step it up and get into the 21st century with some products from Kushko. And with that, let's go beyond the pond. It's just us again. Welcome back to the pod. Hope you guys enjoyed a Carini Ghost Santo segment. Um, before we jump into some songs that we thought thematically connected with that, um, we are too excited right now to share some of our favorite recent albums that have come out. Um, we sincerely apologize to all of you that we have not done this yet this year. We gave you guys a bunch of new music with the last four episodes recorded from Conrad Doucette going over Day of the Dead and a ton of music that really inspired him. Rob Mitchum, where we broke down the storage jam and went into Chicago's psychedelic indie jam scene. Stephen Hyden, where we talked a lot about... Uh, uh, we gave you a techno version of Paul McCartney, of all things. Um, and then the uh, recent episode that just came out with the Beyond Beyond is Beyond label, where we, I think, introduced everyone to a bunch of bands that um, not a ton of people are familiar with. And we're hoping that you guys are listening to and checking out. So um, with that said, we have new albums to recommend here. It's a been a great year so far. Um, if you guys could only peek into Dave's and mine, uh text chain when we're not uh complaining about the 2019 baseball season um we're talking a lot about new albums that we're both discovering both through um our love for jeff conklin and jesse jarno's shows on the uh, wfmu radio station uh both using a ton of band camp and kind of bouncing around and finding stuff as well as uh recommendations on spotify and um uh Sound Opinions, the podcast we love from the guys at 93XRT uh, in Chicago. Point being, I think we both have probably discovered at least like 20 or 30 albums this year so far that we both genuinely really like. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's almost at the point with the podcast that um, as opposed to kind of going into our back catalog and minds to present music, we're actually discovering lots of new music on the fly because of the podcast and because of the like, yes. community that's around the podcast. And we think it's great because in it so much as obviously we love to uh, 
love to present new music to the listener. The fact that we can learn about other things that we did not know before, that's uh, all part of the experience. So yeah, this has been a really, really excellent kickoff to the year. Yeah, it's been a big boon here in uh, in 2019. So very cool, unexpected surprise. Um, so with that, uh, my album I want to recommend to everyone is one that I definitely posted about over the Mexico run. Um, this is a record that um, uh, I know that we both uh, have been listening to a lot. It is the Sun Watchers album called Illegal Moves. Um if any of you listened to our episode with Rob Mitchum, uh, I think he might have mentioned them at least by name. But if you liked the music that was featured in that episode, namely some of the three freeform jazz sort of stuff, this is right up your alley. Um, so this is the third album from the New York City socio-political jazz quartet. Uh, it's easily a top five album of 2019 here for me. Um, I listened to this for the first time during the set break of the Friday, February 22nd show, and it just added to my overall love for the show and the evening as a whole. Um, I know I capped that night off by watching a fantastic double overtime Oklahoma City Thunder Utah Jazz game, and uh, it was Friday night. Fish had just played a killer show. I just discovered a great album, awesome basketball. I was feeling on top of the world. Um, But in terms of this record, what you can expect from it, Uh, Politically speaking, this really kind of aligns with where the world and country is moving right now. They have a stated goal to be the hammer that breaks capitalism, which, you know, whoever, if if that actually uh, is a manifesto or whatnot, it's uh, it just, you know, adds to the overall intensity and sonic quality of the music in a sense. It sounds like a free. Because they don't sing. There's there's no lyrics. Yeah, there's no lyrics. Um, It's it's all uh, cacophonous, swirling noises and, and jazzy beats. And it kind of sounds like a free jazz record from the 60s. And the band actually took their name uh, from an Albert Eiler song. Um, sonically, like I was stating, um, you could kind of draw a line in a certain degree from Cave, who we uh, talked about with Rob Mitchum, to Sun Watchers. Um, every song is built off this like kind of melodic, repeated pattern, while sounds just like just sonic noises swirl all around it. Um, kind of similar to uh, just aspects of the Beyond Beyond is Beyond episode that we just had, and you know, at its root. Um, regardless of the sonic influences and like kind of craziness that you hear, this is a really fun record. It's very lively. It definitely makes you want to kind of move a bit and it keeps you, your head bobbing if you have it playing at work and it just keeps it lots of really cool sounds coming in and out of your head. And um, I will definitely say this is a, if you, if you get into this record, the sun watchers illegal moves, it's one of those records that as it warms up here in 2019, um, you're going to just want to blast this in your car. If you're listening to this album at work, I hope you're using headphones, as I can see. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Some co-workers might not agree with you. Although, yeah, that's a great album. That album is akin to uh, like being at a cannon at close range as it fires. It's almost like if your favorite Fish song was First Tube, and kind of Fish played at First Tube intensity all the time, plus added more horns. And I'm not talking about the tab horns. I'm talking about more... Uh, like a calf in his horns, kind of in that vein. Just it's a really good record. It's a very abrasive record. But yeah, I've been listening to that like Sun Watchers a ton. It's really great for just walking down the street and strutting and seeing all of the noise in New York City around you. So what I've been listening to, my record, 
is a, a guy who is absolutely called an elder statesman of uh, alternative rock and melodic punk rock music. We've mentioned him on the podcast a bunch of times before. You know him from Husker Du and Sugar. Of course, I'm talking about Bob Mould, and he has a new solo record out called Sunshine Rock, which follows in the footsteps of his last three albums starting in 2012 with Silver Age, then going to Beauty and Ruin, and then Patch the Sky, and that he is backed by Jason Narducci on bass and John Worcester on drums, right now being the uh, Super Chunk Rhythm section. Of course, uh, John Worcester also plays drums with the Mountain Goats. Jason Narducci also holds down the bass in uh, the band Split Single with... Um, what's his name from Spoon? Or Daniel, yes. But I think... Um, the Power Trio formation is, of course, what Bob Mould had with Sugar and Husker Du. I think it's where he shines the most because he has described himself as a very, very good rhythm guitar player, which comes through here. But I think relative to his previous albums, I think Patch the Sky was released after the death of his mother and Beauty and Ruin was about the death of his father. It seems like he's kind of coming to grips with things at Sunshine Rock. It's generally brighter it has the word sun and sunshine in at least two or three of the songs and relative to those other albums which are very good for me this one just has a little more variation a little catchier a little more intense and i think i've probably listened to this solo record the most out of the ones that he's released with this particular power trio and he certainly loves it as i think i mentioned earlier in the podcast i saw him um this past Thursday night at Brooklyn Steel in um, Williamsburg, part of Brooklyn. And you really should try to see Bob Mould once because he does this great thing with his set list and that, you know, he'll kind of play a large portion of whatever album he's promoting. But he also throws in lots of Sugar Classics, lots of Husker Du Classics. And when you don't have the individual production nuances of all those albums, it just sounds like one long, awesome two-hour song. Like, he's 58 years old. He rocks out harder than people far younger. And what was kind of funny is that he has his own custom flannel shirt now because there's these dudes that make these flannel shirts inspired by album art rock, uh, by album artwork. So he wore the Sunshine Rock flannel on stage and said, how about this flannel? And then you could go to the merchandise booth and buy the flannel. It was 150 bucks. I wore lots of flannels. I wasn't about to buy this one, but I think it's pretty cool that Bob Mould is rocking it on stage. So, yeah, if you like big, heavy-throated, melodic rock and roll with a punk edge and power trio formation, Bob Mould is just, uh, I don't give him a free pass. I really, really like this album. So, I know that I've uh, listened to that, I think, one or two times since it came out, and uh, definitely will be listening to it into the summer here. Um, so in terms of music that we got for you guys that connects with the Carini Ghost Santo segment, um, as we mentioned in the first part of this episode when we were sitting down with Matt Dwyer, um, Dave and I just kept texting each other during the fourth quarter of february 23rd and being like this just sounds like going to a mechanic shop and 
them blasting classic rock radio. This sounds like every construction site you pass. Uh, this sounds like going into your dad's car in the summertime and driving around and him just throwing on that classic rock station that is in every single town in America and uh, is undeniably fun, undeniably nostalgic, and um, totally worth revisiting. Uh, we have not visited this kind of music enough here, and uh, I feel like it's a, a real clear connection point here with this. It sounds like your college landscaping gig. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all these all these songs that I picked. So, I mean, you know, basically what we're going to do here, we've just got like a playlist that we're going to compile that uh, will give you guys kind of what we felt in listening to, you know, some of the big jams of Mexico. Mexico was fun. It was a really loose and really uh, uh, entertaining and engaging and fun version of Fish and something that felt like, kind of a victory lap after the fall tour, the Casvolt Vox set and, and new year's. Well, what, what, what else do you have to say about all this? No, it was, I think the Mexico run that crushed the other two Mexico runs. I mean, I think yeah. the night we're picking from night three was to me, the one that felt most like a quote unquote Mexico run. And that it was kind of loose, kind of sloppy parts of it felt phoned in until the fourth quarter, but Jesus Christ nights one and two were extremely good, like serious fish shows. Yeah. But that said, I'm more than happy to talk about classic rock because, uh, you know, like you've been saying with the last few episodes, we've only given you like 15 or 16 awesome indie psych rock bands. So I think we've earned the right to be a bit silly. Absolutely. So we're going to kind of spin this out into a playlist. But Dave, tell me a little bit about what you've got for us here. I have three songs... From the voice of classic rock radio, he's even referred to, his nickname is The Voice. But <laughs> if you ask anyone other than rock radio nerds who sings Freeze All Right Now, they don't know. So I've got three songs sung by a very handsome man, Paul Rogers. This would be Free, All Right Now, Bad Company, Rock and Roll Fantasy, and The Fix. Radioactive, of course, the fix being um, Jimmy Page's post Led Zeppelin AOR radio band, Bad Company, lots of hits there, and uh, Free, who I think the only song anyone knows from them is All Right Now. I'm not going to say that I know any other songs from Free because I'm kind of ashamed to admit <laughs> that I don't. But it's one man singing all these songs. And he's got one of those voices that you just say like, I know this guy. I know this guy. I know this guy. What's his name? It's fucking Paul Rogers, man. <laughs> well done. Um, and I love all of those songs. Uh, I've got for you guys, I got four songs. I, I cheated here on, on two of them. Um, and I've got good reason for it. Uh, I've got golden earring radar. Love the doobie brothers, China Grove. And then uh, I, I dipped a little bit into the eighties here for ZZ tops. Give me all your loving, which, uh, is played on tons of classic rock radios and radio stations and just makes me fucking smile every time I hear that song. And then um, Thin Lizzy, the boys are back in town. Uh, is there a better, bigger, dumber classic rock song out there that uh probably not no i mean it's just like that like to me summarizes the uh kind of audacity of the entire uh and kind of arrogance of the entire classic rock era in the 70s of you know you talk to any baby boomer kind of between 55 and 72 and at least once in their life they've uttered the phrase 
this is the greatest music that's ever been made. And uh, it probably isn't, but it feels that way sometimes. I actually dipped into the 80s as well. Uh, I think Radioactive, I believe, is from 1982. Definitely the early 80s. So, yeah, this is the kind of music um, when you and I were growing up and you'd be watching MTV or some premium cable channel and they would have these like double disc National Geographic sets for like Freedom Rock, just like, yes. scrolling on the scenes so that you get this, this, this. And it, would, <laughs> it would be like yellow and it would be yellow because that's the song you actually be hearing on the TV. And you think to yourself, wow, that's a pretty great compilation. I'm going to call up right now. <laughs> don't have to do that in 2019 now these these songs remind me of um i, I held a job with like f- six of my best friends uh summers between junior senior year and then senior year in college where um we basically cleaned out elementary schools and middle schools and turned them over so they're ready for uh, the next year and it was a great excuse to uh uh eat crappy food hang out with your friends uh get high and um uh, drink a bunch of beer at night and not have to really do too much the next day. And we'd always had the radio blasting and we always had it on either 97.9 The Loop or 97.1 The Drive. And this is the kind of station that plays like Two for Tuesday or like one side of a single album, but like they're always going to play these kinds of songs at least once a day. Yeah, we had that in Connecticut. We had 99 rock wplr which <laughs> which still exists it wasn't as good as when i was 15 because at that point it had to become a clear channel subsidiary um 105.9 whcn which has changed over seven or eight times since then and also 106.9 wccc which i think the letters stand for we are connecticut that was more of um 106.9 kind of veered more like grunge alternative new metal like that was the first place i heard like stone Temple pilots plush but they would also play like some pantera songs and something like that but hcn was great because it had the floyd void on thursday nights so from like 10 to 11 it was just one hour of pink floyd and the guy doing it was also fond of ending it with the two sons in the sunset which i think is the last song the final cut being his one son the other sun is a nuclear like blast. It's a Martian cloud. So that's a very scary thing to hear when you're like 16 years old and going to bed at 11 o'clock. Totally. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for you guys to hear this. As you can tell, I mean, there's like a lot of nostalgia associated with this kind of music for us. And, you know, I just felt like the Mexico run was in the moment kind of a nostalgic run it was almost like i said fish taking a victory lap for the last you know two years as they take you know four months off before whatever summer 2019 is going to bring us and um hopefully fall 2019 and new year's 2019 as we jump into 2020 so i think that we're in a really good space right now with fish the band seems super happy they seem super excited about continuing to play together things are going well so let's just revel in that um but before we jump into the episode uh or excuse me <laughs> before we jump into the playlist we're gonna let this play ourselves out so uh we're gonna close it out from here uh it's been it's been great chatting here it was great chat with matt dwyer from hf pod i know that we're gonna be doing something with him and with hf pod as well here in the near future but this was a fun episode just a reminder of uh, some social media links you can find us on twitter 
at underscore beyond the pond, one word. Our Simplecast website, beyondthepond.simplecast.fm. On Spotify, we have uh, the master playlist, which we try to update at the end of uh, a little after the episode goes to air. It's under Beyond the Pond podcast songs. It's gotten quite voluminous at this point. Check out our podcast family. There are many other wonderful podcasts at osirispod.com. That's O-S-I-R-I-S-P-O-D.com. And leave us an iTunes review because we read them. We seriously do. I have to think I might go back and read some right now because I'm a very vain person when it comes to this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. And in terms of publishing structure... We have been doing every other Tuesday. We kind of flutter the zone on you late, uh, as of late. But I think as time goes on, we, uh, we'll get back to the every other Tuesday. So we very much hope that you enjoy this trip down 70s and early 80s classic rock nostalgia lane. And then come back in two weeks. We're going to hold hands. We're going to steer you away from being myopic. We're going to talk about bands other than jam bands. Most importantly, we're going to go beyond the pond.
No more speed, I'm almost there Gotta keep cool now, gotta take care Last car to pass, here I go And the line of cars drove down real slow And the radio played that forgotten song sang his same song
Osiris. <laughs>